Welcome back to the Star of Rock Murders with Andy Hale. Uh, it's been a while. I have missed everybody. And Whitney Braun, I've missed you. It's good to see you. It's fantastic to see you. It's uh, I, I feel sincere about this. I have, I'm having podcast withdrawals. Uh, <laughs> we're, we're not doing this on, uh, on the regular anymore. And so it's, it's starting to feel very weird to me. Me too. And I judge everything in terms of, you know, um, baby life, you know, JJ, <laughs> your son. So he's now old. how old? He is six months old. Uh, oh my he turned, God. Turned six months old on Tuesday. Um, wow. And, yeah. So he's, uh, he's, I just he's hope, growing up so quickly. I just hope we're still not doing this podcast when he's like three years old. You know, I mean, yeah, like, I know. You don't yeah. want to send out an invitation. I, you know, Chester's exoneration and JJ's birthday party. Uh, and, you yeah, know, no, no, no. He's turning five. I know. <laughs> Well, let's get into it. The update is we have filed a comprehensive motion for leave to file a successive post-conviction petition. I know that's a lot of legal gobbledygook. Let me explain. There's basically two roads when you think somebody's wrongfully convicted. Uh, the direct fastest route is to go right to the state's attorney's office and present your evidence to them directly, informally, and show them what you have. And the state's attorney's office has the power to vacate a conviction. You don't even have to go to court. The state's attorney's office can do it. So that's what we tried with Will County. You know, the Will County state's attorney's office was appointed as a special prosecutor. Um, so that is who we're dealing with. That who That's who holds the power here. As you recall, uh, Will County objected to our request to simply look at the physical evidence with our eyeballs, just just to look at it like all the Girl Scout troops in, you know, homerooms got to do in, in, in classes in LaSalle. They, uh, the judge overruled that, let us look. We then wanted to test evidence. They said no. They objected. They said the evidence was a complete disaster. It wasn't. It's amazing. There's so much in there. Glass slides. Things are organized. It's amazing. Uh, so we were out to test things. And then we presented all our evidence to them and said, you know, this is an overwhelming case. You need to do the right thing and vacate this conviction. And they said no. So it's been three strikes with Will County. So that's what that means is we now go to the courts. We now go to plan B. Illinois has a statute. It's the Illinois Post-Conviction Hearing Act. There's rules for how this works. So you basically, the first step is you file your petition with the court, which is what we just did. We filed our petition with all our evidence claiming we have a case of innocence. And the standard, this is stage one of step, th there's three stages. Stage one, the state, Will County doesn't even have a say right now. Just the judge looks at this. The judge has 90 days to review our evidence. The burden is, and I'm reading from a Illinois Supreme Court case, the Robinson case, which said, ultimately the question is whether the evidence supporting the post-conviction petition places the trial evidence in a different light and undermines the court's confidence in the judgment of guilt. That's all our burden is right now. And I submit to you, when you read it, you've seen our petition, absolutely all this evidence, the DNA, the mafia connections, the log nut being the murder weapon, on and on and on, definitely uh, satisfies the burden of putting the trial evidence in a different light and undermining the court's confidence. If we get by stage one 
it advances to stage two, where the state can now make legal arguments. Maybe they want to argue a witness is incredible. Maybe they want to argue evidence isn't new, whatever that might be. Um, and then if we get by that, which I think we will and we should, we get to the third stage, which is the final stage, which is an evidentiary hearing, which means it's like a trial. We put on our evidence. We'll bring into court the woman to testify about her grandfather saying he'd handpicked the guys from the mafia that did the killing. We'll bring in the guy from Hennepin in court to testify about what Smokey Rona told him. We'll put in our DNA results. We'll put in our experts. We'll put all that evidence in the record and the judge will decide. And that's where we're at. Unfortunately, it's a much slower road. This is going to take time. I was hoping we could do this on the freeway, uh, but now we're on kind of the long, winding, scenic road less traveled, which is fine. We're still going to get to our destination. So having said all that, <laughs> do, you have, do you have a question yeah. about what I just said? Well, okay. I have a th- for my first thought is that if uh, if the judge reads, so if we go back to step one, if the judge reads this and goes, "Nah, nothing here," I will lose complete faith in the criminal justice system, and I don't, I don't know, just go to the beach and stick my head in the sand. I don't, I don't, I don't know what to do with my frustrations, you know. Well, at that point, yeah, I, I, I believe we have satisfied our burden to get by step one, stage one. Uh, we always have, bear in mind, uh, if we lose in the trial court, we have a right to appeal. Okay. So, um, you know, this this isn't final, final. Um, there's plenty of cases. When I was doing research for this mm-hmm. petition, oh my gosh, I came across so many cases in the last couple of years, like probably, I mean, a dozen at least, where the trial court denied post-conviction relief and the appellate court said, no, we think they've met their burden. Um, so the law is actually very favorable right now to petitioners. The burden right now at the first stage is low. Uh, and like I said, Will County can't even weigh in Mm -hmm. uh, at this stage. It's just stage one, but the court has 90 days. It takes, there's a lot of evidence to review. It's going to take time. It's going to take time. And we presented this petition in court last week. The judge kind of held up the notebook, you know, with all the exhibits, Mm -hmm. you know, kind of smiled. He's like, I just got this filing, you know, (laughs) um, but I am I'm optimistic, Whitney, for the whole process because the evidence we have is overwhelming. And let me tell you about the new part of this. Yes, this petition contains all the things we've already talked about on the podcast. You know, the mafia stuff, the, the club not being the murder weapon, the twine being cut, you know, all these things. That's all in there. Yeah. But we've got some new evidence as well in the form of four expert reports. And by that, what I mean is in litigation, you can, you can basically have an expert in a field prepare a report and give opinions, expert opinions in their area of expertise. We've got four of those. We've got a forensic pathologist talking about, he read and analyzed the autopsies. The murder weapons would have, there were different types of injuries, cylindrical injuries, angular injuries. He's saying there's two different types of weapons. The cylindrical is kind of consistent with a baseball bat. The kind of pointed angular injuries are more consistent with like a tire iron, the end of a hammer. He was saying no matter what, the murder weapons had to be something very strong and heavy, like a baseball bat or a tire iron, swung with force because these injuries 
were devastating. So we've got that. We've got a false confessions expert who goes through all the history of false confessions. What are the factors? Why do they occur? And are those factors present in this case? Yes. Then we've got a polygraph examiner who talks about some of the improprieties he saw with the polygraph exams given to Chester, given you know the, the reward money that the polygraph examiner collected. And then we've got a person in law enforcement giving police practices opinions about deficiencies in the investigation, things that weren't done, things that should have been done. Uh, I'm going to post all this at the podcast website, andyhalepodcast.com. I'm going to post the petition and these four expert reports. Everybody can read them. It is powerful and it is overwhelming in preparing. I mean, it was colossal amount of work. It looks like the phone book. I mean, it's it's, yeah, a, it it's does. a huge document. 90 days seems like a long time, but I think if you see this document, and I encourage people to go look at it, that that's actually a pretty reasonable amount of time to really pour over this information. I mean, this is this well, is a tremendous amount of information. And I'll put my judge hat on now. Uh, what judges will always tell you is, I'm not your only case. Meaning, this judge isn't only handling the Chester Uyghur case. Yeah. This judge probably has another 100 cases. So he's got to do this. He's not just got to look at my case. He's got to handle all his other 100 cases or maybe more. So I'm just one of many. And everybody deserves the course time and attention. You know, I get it. So it's a matter of, yes, there's a ton to review and also the reality of a busy court docket. Um, yeah. But it's it's just, I want to just give a thank you right now to my partner, Celeste Stack, who did a lot of the heavy lifting in preparing this petition. She worked previously 30 years in the Cook County State's Attorney's Office in Chicago. She founded... Cook County's Conviction Integrity Unit really is the legal expert. And uh, we really need to get her on this podcast talking about, you know, a lot of her expertise. But she did so much of the the heavy lifting. I want to pass along one thing she, her and I have discussed about, you know, we've been focusing on this podcast on innocence, evidence of innocence. What we haven't focused on is just some of the legal improprieties just that were in the case. Putting aside guilt or innocence, for instance, Chester got arrested for the murders. You have to have probable cause to arrest somebody. I can't arrest you for murder right now. If I went to the police and said, hey, Whitney Braun committed murder, they'd say, okay, what's your evidence? I said, I don't know. I just just think she did. They're not going (laughs) to arrest you. You have to have some evidence to support it, a reasonable belief. Chester got arrested. Let me say this slowly. I don't know if people realize this. Chester got arrested for the three murders before, B-E-F-O-R-E, before he had confessed. Yeah. There was no probable cause to arrest him, Whitney. The only evidence against him was the, air quotes, confession. That was it. They had no basis to arrest him, but they did and, and showed him these murder warrants as pressure to get him to confess. That is absolutely outrageous. Yeah. Oh my God. I also just am fascinated by the fact that, you know, when you have grown up, like both you and I have, in a world where every police procedural drama, right, has the Miranda rights read, like we all know that so well. Chester, Chester predates that. 
he didn't get that even, right? He didn't get his Miranda rights no. read to him. No, he, no. He like like this no. is just for me. It's 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 always so yeah weird to to try to place myself in the context of 1960 Illinois and what he went through. Let me do it for you, Whitney. I'm going to throw you back to 1960. You're working as a waitress in the Starve Rock Lodge. You're 21 years old. Your family is dirt poor. Yeah. Uh, you don't have running water or electricity. You're not educated. You're just a 21-year-old girl trying to make her way through the world. Yeah. And you get arrested and charged with a triple murder based on no evidence. You haven't confessed yet. And uh, you don't have, they don't tell you, you know, you, 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 want, you want a lawyer? Uh, you know, in fact, Chester's dad asked for a lawyer. Uh, they wouldn't get him one. You basically are on your own, Whitney. Your family's unsophisticated. They can't help you. You don't know any lawyers. What are you going to do? Can you imagine the predicament Chester Weger was in and the pressure he was in? It's unbelievable, but I'm not done with these legal improprieties. So he gets arrested without probable cause. There is nothing connecting him to these crimes. He has not confessed yet. The next stage is a preliminary hearing. Okay, at a preliminary hearing, the state has to present some evidence to the court about what the charges are and why. And you know what they do, which is completely improper? State's attorney Peter Ferracuti, I think that's his name, ex parte, meaning he just talks to the judge. Ex parte means only one side. Mm -hmm. He just talks to the judge and gets a continuance. That's a totally improper. He can't go to the judge and say he wants a continuance. Chester Weger has a say in the matter. Chester Weger asked for an immediate preliminary hearing. And if they'd had one, the state would have been exposed as having nothing. They had no evidence. And instead, the state, ex parte, which they knew was improper, got this continuance. And then they put the screws to Chester Weger and got him to confess. <laughs> Whitney, I mean... We focused, I could have a whole podcast just on the legal improprieties of what they did to Chester Weger, putting aside guilt or innocence. I mean, and these are things the state did, Whitney, knowingly. Well, it's there's no, go ahead, sorry. No, I mean, there's no debate like, oh, you know, uh, it was, no, they knew they had no evidence. Yeah. They knew they were going to the judge ex parte to continue the preliminary hearing. It is indefensible. Chester Weger should get a new trial just based on what I just told you. Putting aside all the evidence of innocence, what I just told you is so outrageous. Yeah. He should get a new trial. I say basically, he got the same due process as the accused during the, uh, the Spanish Inquisition, right? <laughs> I mean, yeah. I mean, really, it, yeah. it's not that dissimilar. <laughs> I mean, oh you, basically, my gosh. You, you get arrested, you ask for, no, you can't have one. Oh, I'm going to go to the I'm going to go to the judge and ask for a continuance. Nope, you don't get to say in that either. Okay, you're convicted, yeah. right? I mean, I mean, it's it's it's. I may have an episode, you know. I mean, for the people for the people that really want to, you know, the people that are interested in the legal intricacies, yeah. Uh, or maybe I'll just do some kind of article and post it on the podcast website because I do, I do not want to downplay the significance of the legal improprieties and the way they handled the case. Arresting somebody without probable cause. I mean, arresting him before he confessed, taking him to the justice of the peace, who was the local grocer. I mean, Whitney, it is, I mean, I could, like I said, you and I, we couldn't make this up. No, it's, no. it's just, it's just, oh my God, it's just, 
it's so upsetting. It is just so upsetting. So well, anyway, can I, oh, um, sorry. yeah, go ahead. No, go ahead. Say, we're, we're both I'm, so I'm passionate cool about off. this. <laughs> no, oh I know. God. I mean, I think to me, you talked about it, but I, I just want to, to uh, highlight it again, you know, in, in reading through the report, which I encourage everybody to do, you mentioned that the, the injuries to the women uh, came in kind of two forms, this cylindrical and this sort of sharp edge. And I, I just think that is such a fascinating additional piece of information that if you, if you're just kind of, if you're a casual listener to the podcast, but uh, you know, but you're but you're intrigued by this, really read this petition because I yes. have to I have to hand it to you and to Celeste. It's a page turner. It is really a yeah. page turner because it's just point after point after point with with just this onslaught of evidence that, like I said, to go back to my, my original point, if this does not raise the judge's eyebrow and get past step one, then uh, I have to say what everybody says when the person wins the presidency they don't like. I'm moving to Canada. Like I, I will get, I will be so frustrated. Yeah. Well, I, I, it's, I, I can't say it enough. I think you hit the nail on the head. I think what gets looked over a little bit, like even now when I said it, I could do a whole episode on this new expert opinion from our forensic pathologist. Okay, what he says in here, I'm going to post it. You can read it. His name is David Fowler. Okay, these. Injuries, I mean, skulls were bashed in. Devastating injuries, you know, to the skull, okay? What he said is those are caused by heavy objects swung with great force. Baseball bat causes a cylindrical injury. Something like a tire iron can cause like the pointed injuries. And what he says is, you know, they tried to explain this at trial as the camera, like the corner of the camera. Okay, is pointed. What he said is the camera and the binoculars could have at most caused superficial injuries. It gave you a cut, you know, it gave you a bruise. You're not going to basically break somebody's skull with a little camera or binoculars. It's not strong enough to do that. And I think that, and even the log, he is, he is, you know, we know the log's not involved. So this whole notion that the the camera and the binoculars cause these these massive devastating injuries is just forensically false. You know, it is I, false. I, uh, I may have mentioned this before on the podcast, but I have the unfortunate memory of my, uh, in my, from my youth of dropping my grandfather's 1960 errors like a camera, which is very similar to the, the one uh, referenced in this case. And it shattered when I dropped it. Yeah. You know, from about four feet up onto a hardwood floor. I have a very hard time imagining that it could inflict the injuries, right? I mean, that's yeah. just my anecdotal, uh, you know, uh, observation. But I, it just, it feels absurd, right? It's just absurd that even in 1960, they went, oh, yeah, these cameras did that. Well, and I think what people lose sight of is, you know, I, I kind of, you know, will say, oh, the, the injuries were devastating or the injuries were bad, their skulls were bashed. If you actually read this forensic pathologist report, he kind of summarizes the injuries. I mean, I can't overstate how badly their skulls were beaten. I mean, Mrs. Odin's basically head was loose on her vertebrae. He describes it. I think our, I think our forensic pathologist, I think it's in his report. It's injuries you would see if somebody like jumped off a building yeah. and then their feet touch and like their kind of head keeps going downward or they're in like a motor vehicle crash. I mean, these just aren't like, oh, he's got a, uh, a contusion on the side of his head. And these are forceful 
super strong, forceful injuries. And it's not a camera and it's not binoculars and it's not that log. And let me say one other thing about the log. In preparing this petition, one of the things of many that makes me want to scream, as I constantly do, is the state knew, K-N-E-W, knew the log wasn't the murder weapon. Why do I say that? I've said it before. They had notes from the crime lab within days that the log was old, spongy, high moisture content. More importantly, the blood on the log did not result from hitting. That's exactly out of the notes. And what do they find in Miss Odin's head? Like a couple tiny pieces of wood. I mean, if the log was used, there'd be bark and debris all embedded all over her head, skull, and face. There were a couple little pieces. And here's the kicker. Here's the real kicker. After Chester confesses, Harlan Warren, Dummett, and Hess take that log out to St. Louis Canyon with a forestry expert from Madison, Wisconsin, and they try to match it to those trees in the crime scene area, and they can't. That log was foreign to the area, which means it was brought there by somebody. It was brought there by one of the killers. Chester Weger didn't say, I'm going to go on my break and bring this log from my backyard with me. No, it was brought there by one of the killers. So the state knew before trial the log wasn't the murder weapon, yet they proceeded to trial and presented false evidence that the log was the murder weapon when they knew that it wasn't. Oh my God, I could go on and on. So please, everybody out there, read the petition, read these expert reports. It is powerful and it is overwhelming. It is. It's, um, you know, you and I get worked up and we crack jokes on this podcast, but it's also, um, it's a really somber read too, because, because as you're reading it, you just, you're just thinking to yourself, this cavalier attitude, and I just use that word over and over again, it was a cavalier attitude about a man's life. Because as you've, as you've pointed out before, this, this evidence that was brought forth against him that was so flimsy was not just used to say, hey, he should, he should do you know five months community service. It was brought forth and they said, hey, this evidence should be used to kill him, to strap him into a chair and send thousands of volts through his body and electrocute him. Exactly right. You know, it's a good segue because this Friday, March 3rd, Chester turns 84. Wow. And I'm going to go out there and celebrate with him and his family. 84 years old. It's amazing that he has survived this long. And you know what? He's surviving. Uh, he, he's a, kind of the lone survivor. You know, everybody else has kind of passed away. Yeah. If Chester Weger would have been electrocuted, this story dies. Nobody knows about this incredible cover-up and this wrongful conviction. He has endured and survived for this reason, Whitney. I'm convinced it's for this reason to finally seek and obtain justice. He'll be 84, and it's amazing. Uh, I can't wait to see him. You know, and I want to say he's still, him and his family are still struggling financially, you know, trying to pay rent, bills. Um, if, if you can spare a dollar, $5, there's a GoFundMe page that his niece has set up. Any contribution would be greatly appreciated by Chester and his family. Please check it out. And one last thing, there's so many points that kind of support my innocence claim. I don't know if we've got any TikTok fans out there, but if we do go to TikTok, 
in about a week, I'm going to probably be ready in about a week. I'm going to do a daily, I'm going to have a top 50 list, at least 50, maybe more. And I'm going to count down my top 50 reasons supporting Chester Uyghur's innocence. I'm going to do one a day, 50, 49, 48, leading up to number one. So if you're on TikTok, check it out. If you're not, go to TikTok and check it out. You can, you can, you know, search for me because I need to remind people of all, all the evidence and issues that we have. It's, it's, like I said, it's overwhelming. To sum up today, we took a giant step forward in the courts by filing this petition for post-conviction relief. Everybody sit tight. Uh, We have our next court date in uh, late April. And one other update, we are still trying to do some forensic testing. Uh, We're going to be asking the court for permission to analyze and potentially test some more hair evidence found at the crime scene. Uh, We'll see what the state says in response to that. We're also going to, you know, we're awaiting our genealogy results for the hair that was found on Mrs. Murphy's glove. That DNA showed was not Chester Weger. It was a male profile of somebody else. We're trying to find out who that is. So we still got things in the hopper. I still continue to investigate. If anybody has any tips or information, please reach out. I'm always all ears. Uh, we continue to just do everything we can to to work on the case and investigate. So stay tuned. Uh, I'm looking forward to coming back with an update as soon as I've got one.